baptisms are the reason why the church does exist. So welcome people into the family of God and so grateful for uh, the commitment and the decision that Leanne has made long ago. Today was just a public expression. And wouldn't you know that all of heaven is rejoicing, right? And what is the devil and his cohorts doing? They're, uh, they're afraid, right? And they are stepping up their game as well. Well, last Sabbath, we, we talked about a topic, idols of expectation. And we want to do a part two today. So I want to start, church family, with a question. Have you ever been held captive by an expectation? Have you ever been held captive by an expectation? It had to have been sixth grade in Keene Elementary School, Keene Avenue Elementary School. Mrs. Trevino was our homeroom teacher. But for whatever reason, this day or that week, the boys were separated from the girls and going to music class. So the boys had stayed behind in the main classroom. The girls went to music class. They did their thing, and then we would switch. Now it was time for the boys to go to the music class. And lo and behold, we found out when we got into the music teacher's classroom that the music teacher was going to teach us music. Well, this seemed to be very unfair because we had learned, we had inside information that just the period before, the girls got to go out for free recess. This is unfair. This is an injustice. Why do the girls get to go outside to play for music class, and we, the boys, have to stay inside and be tortured with music? So you know what we did? We formed a strike. Now, I, wa I want to let you, I want to be very clear. I never got in trouble. <laughs> but somebody came up with the idea, you know what, this is not fair. We are just going to boycott music class. And we are going to go have recess just like the girls did. So we went outside and we played. What music teacher does? She goes and reports to the homeroom class, Mrs. Trevino. And then the word gets to the principal. Now, during that time, in my time growing up, SWATs, you know what SWATs are, right? Some of you are a little bit more familiar with SWATs than others. SWATs is a disciplinary action where the principal would take a board. And our principal, Mr. Ralston, at that time, had several boards used for swatting. You had a plain board. You had a board with a lot of holes in it and it would hang on his wall, displayed very proudly on his wall. So when we uh, were called in from our, our little recess that we did, we were called into the principal's office. And so I, there had to have been about 12 of us boys. We march into the principal's office. I had never been to the principal's office. Never. And there we sat. And so Mr. Ralston said, well, there's got to be a consequence for you uh, disobeying the music teacher. And so all of you are going to get swats. Who is first? 
about 12 of us. And so the rest of us go outside the principal's office and we wait, we line up. And some of my friends are talking, they're whispering, and I am scared. I have never received a SWAT. What is that going to feel like? I don't know. And then word's going to get back to my parents. Oh, what's going to happen at home? My friends came up with a scheme. They ordered themselves as to who would go next. You know who they put last? They put me last. I'm like, why? We figure that Mr. Ralston will be a little bit more tired, and it won't hurt as much for you. They were sacrificing themselves, and here I was expecting a harsh punishment while my friends were not willing to throw me under the bus. They tried to make sure that I was in the best position possible. That day, I received my first SWAT, and it really wasn't that bad. <laughs> I think Mr. Ralston understood our, our sense of injustice and just kind of tapped all of us, and then we were off. I expected to receive a harsh punishment. I had worked it up in my mind, and I was sweating, and I was... I was so scared as to what this punishment would, would be like. Have you ever expected a harsh punishment, but then did not receive that harsh punishment? You had worked it up and replayed it over and over in your mind. You expected one thing, but you actually received a little bit of grace. Have you ever been held captive? by an expectation. And maybe as parents, we expect a lot of things of our children. Maybe you had parents that expected a lot from you. Maybe you were the oldest and you were expected. Maybe you were the youngest and so you were expected. Have you ever been held captive by an expectation? I'm Filipino but I was born in Chicago. And growing up, I remember my grandmother having a tall expectation of me. She would often say, Ira, when you grow up, marry a Filipino. <laughs> have, have your parents ever had these types of expectations of you? Like who you should marry? My mother, the same way. Ira, when you grow up, marry a Filipino. Now, by that time, we had actually moved to Texas and there were not very many Filipinos in my community. <laughs> I remember thinking to myself, and even out loud, and maybe regretfully with a little bit of sass, I would say, if you wanted me to marry a Filipino, we should have stayed in the Philippines. <laughs> so you know what I did? All throughout high school, college, and even into my 20s, if I had a girlfriend, she was not Filipino. These expectations of my mother and my grandmother were, to me, not reasonable. Not when it comes to my love life. So who did I end up marrying? You guessed it. Daisy is a Filipino. <laughs> and this past week, we celebrated our anniversary. Happy anniversary, Daisy. 
and I'm glad you're a Filipino as well. <laughs> My family expectations ended up not too bad. Yet for some families, expectations, strong expectations, that if you do not follow those expectations or honor those expectations, it causes great problems within families. Any of you have that type of family? And here you are gearing up for Thanksgiving dinner, right? Year after year at Thanksgiving and at Christmas, family gatherings, you're having to deal with people's expectations, right? And you feel captive, imprisoned, chained by some of those expectations. And maybe you even have those expectations of your own children or other family members. Expectations, when fulfilled, tend to nurture peace. Expectations, when not fulfilled, can lead to great strife and division. Think about the anger and the bitterness in your own family. Could you trace the anger, the bitterness, to unmet expectations? To the point that, if you're honest with yourself, the expectation has become an idol. You bow down to that false expectation. You think about that expectation. You obsess over that expectation, and it becomes this idol. It has held you captive. You're worshiping that expectation, that false expectation. No one has met your expectation to the point of fighting and bickering with other people. Or maybe you are the type of person that express anger in silence, and so you haven't talked to that family member in years. This morning, church family, are you worshiping an idol of expectation? Last Sabbath, we opened up the topic of idols as expectation. We journeyed with the children of Israel through the wilderness. We opened up Old Testament scripture as an example, which show the expectations that are outside of God's will end up becoming an idol. And for the children of Israel, ended up becoming a golden calf. Today, in the New Testament, we find examples of expectations as well. So open your Bible to Luke chapter 9. Thank you, Hubert, for reading our scripture reading today. Luke chapter 9, starting with verse 51. Jesus, the context, the background to this passage is that Jesus knows that he's headed to the cross. He knows that he has to go to Jerusalem and be handed over to the religious leaders and be crucified on the cross. He knows this. And so he and his disciples are on the northern end of the region, in, this, in the region of Galilee, and they have to trek all the way south to Jerusalem. Now, there are two ways to get to Jerusalem from the north. You can take the long way around and avoid the region of Samaria. Or you can take the fastest route and go through Samaria. So here's more of the background here. Samaritans and Jews do not get along. 
There's a lot of anger and hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans. And so if Jesus and his disciples, who are Jews, are going to head down through Samaria, they've got to be ready for persecution. Jesus knows this. And so which route does Jesus take? He takes the shortest route, the route that goes through Samaria. Now, Jesus and his disciples have gone into several Samaritan villages, and, and Jesus taught there and did miracles. So there were several Samaritan villages that actually loved Jesus and would have welcomed him. But for whatever reason, Jesus sends two disciples, and one writer seems to think that it was James and John that Jesus sent to a particular Samaritan village. So these two disciples, James and John, they go on ahead and they're, they're, their mission is to prepare a place for Jesus and his disciples to spend the night as they are making their way as quickly as possible to Jerusalem. James and John head into this village and they cannot provide for their master. There is no accommodations in this particular Samaritan village. In fact, the door keeps getting closed. And there's a lot of hatred that is being displayed. Luke chapter 9, starting with verse 51. Would you please read with me? Now it came to pass when the time had come for him, Jesus, to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Verse 52 messengers before his face and as they went they entered a village of the samaritans to prepare for him but they did not receive him because his face was set Jerusalem. and when his disciples james and john they said lord do you want us to command fire to come and consume them just as Elijah did. But he, Jesus, turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to, but to save. Jesus' journey through Samaria was on purpose. Sending two messengers ahead to prepare for evening accommodations had a purpose. Two messengers, James and John, otherwise known as the sons of thunder, can you imagine their attitude and characteristic? And so again, the Samaritans and the Jews, though they're related, they're, they're somewhat cousins, but they hate each other. There's bitter hatred between the two cultures. But because Jesus had shown compassion to several Samaritan villages, he would be accepted, but only by some. And so the timing of Jesus' journey south also had to do with a feast, a feast that all Jewish men were required to head to Jerusalem. So what makes the re rejection of Jesus in a certain Samaritan village? is due to religious expectations. These Samaritans would not go to Jerusalem for the worship feast. They would not dare do that. 
And so they set up their own place of worship. For the Samaritans, their place of worship was Mount Gerizim. For the Jews, their place of worship was Jerusalem. And for Jesus passing through Samaria to worship in Jerusalem was an insult to the Samaritans. Hence, the rejection. In a book, Desire of Ages, page 487, the writer writes, He, Jesus, came to restore the temple and worship upon, I'm sorry, had Jesus come to restore the temple and worship upon Mount Gerizim, they, the Samaritans, would gladly have received him. But Jesus was going to Jerusalem, and they would show him no hospitality. Little did they realize that they were turning their doors from the best gift of heaven. Jesus invited men to receive him. He asked favors at their hands that he might come near to them to bestow the richest blessings. For every favor manifested toward Jesus, he requited a more precious grace. But all was lost to the Samaritans because of their prejudice and their bigotry. (laughs) Prejudice and bigotry, strong words, right? The Samaritans had their expectations of worship, and this was informed by generations of false understanding, leading to false expectations, which leads to false worship. Idols of expectation. And because of these idols of expectation, this particular Samaritan village missed out on the greatest gift, the greatest gift ever known to mankind in the form of Jesus Christ. When we worship idols of expectation, we miss out on Jesus. This is not good news. The false expectations are not just limited to the Samaritan village. Apparently, false expectations are also found in the followers of Jesus. James and John were were highly emotional because of the rejection. The sons of thunder immediately entertained thoughts of retaliation, punishment, consequence. And maybe, seeing off in the distance Mount Carmel, the story of Elijah calling down fire from heaven to consume a sacrifice, comes as a powerful image in their minds. Lord, because of their rejection of you and us, let's retaliate. Do you want us to call down fire from heaven and consume them? Have you ever felt like retaliating? Retaliating against your brother who did not meet your expectation? Have you ever felt like punishing or retaliating against your spouse because they did not meet your expectation? Have you ever felt frustrated and clenching your fist and gotten so angry that you wanted to retaliate because somebody did not meet your expectation? I remember as a kid, 
My mother came home, and, and you would think that she was doing me a favor by providing me a treat. It was a sandwich from McDonald's. But how did I react to that sandwich from McDonald's? I said, Mom, where are the French fries? <laughs> Doesn't everybody know? You go to McDonald's for the fries. And I'll admit that I, at one point in my life, was so addicted to the McDonald's French fries. What do they put in that stuff? Don't, don't, don't say. I got so mad. I mean, I was just a kid. How dare you come home with a sandwich from McDonald's and not bring McDonald's French fries? I got so mad. I was yelling at my mom. I think that I am so embarrassed that I reacted that way. I had this expectation. <laughs> Associated with McDonald's french fries. Now, I know that's a light example here, but there are more serious examples in your life, right? Right? <laughs> Please? <laughs> We have an expectation of one another. We have an expectation of our children that when they don't meet that expectation, we get so angry and we lash out. We have expectations of our, our parents. We get so angry and we lash out. What are we doing? When people do not meet our expectation, we hold on to that and we replay it and replay it. And it gets to the point that we end up using that expectation as a God, as if we're bowing down to it, worshiping it, trying to appease it. And God, Jesus, is no longer our God. We miss out on Jesus when we worship our false expectations. And so Jesus turns to the sons of thunder and he rebukes them. Has Jesus ever rebuked you? Wow. Aren't you glad he rebuked you? And that you responded well to his rebuke? Right? Have you ever thought of rebuke as an act of grace? To stop you dead in your tracks and say, you know what? You're heading in the wrong direction. You're about to worship an idol of expectation. And so Jesus rebukes his disciples, and he says, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. Two disciples that seemingly had given their lives over to Jesus and followed him for about two, two and a half years. They called him master and rabbi and believed that he is Messiah, and Lord, if you are going to be the coming king, the Messiah who is going to liberate us, deliver us from oppression, just tell us and we will call down fire from heaven and consume these prejudiced people, these bigots, these racists. But Jesus says, no, no. You can't have that type of spirit. 
You can't have that revengeful spirit, that retaliatory attitude. You cannot have yourself that same bigotry, bigotry within you. You can't have that same prejudice within you. Don't call down fire from heaven. Don't think that I've come to destroy, but I've come to save. The Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but has come to save them. And seemingly, without any other word, they leave that village and they go to another village that will receive them. In clarity to expectations, Jesus states, the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives. He came to save them. He came to better men's lives. An idol of expectation will lead to retaliation, whereas worship to Jesus will lead to salvation, which will lead to grace and forgiveness. James and John were not the only disciples, though, dealing with idols of expectation. Classic example, Judas. Turn now to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. And there's example after example of idols of expectation all throughout Scripture, both old and new. We're just bringing up two examples here, James and John, sons of thunder, and now Judas, Matthew chapter 26, verses 14 through 16. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him, Jesus, to you? And they counted out to him thirty pieces of silver. And so from that time he sought opportunity to do what? To betray Jesus. Judas was one of the 12 disciples, right? He's one of the 12 disciples that Jesus had called to follow him, and, and, and Judas willingly followed Jesus. What we know of Judas is what was, his, what was his job description as a disciple? He most likely was a treasurer amongst all of the 12. And so all of the money coming in and out went through Judas's hands. So you would think that he would be tempted to cook the books. But when we dig deeper into the life of Judas, he wasn't trying to just gain money, right? He was actually trying to force the hand of Jesus. He had come to realize that Jesus was just too passive. He was too permissive. And that the way Jesus was to be Messiah was to come into kingship with power and with force. So what we try, what we come to understand now is that Judas is trying to manipulate Jesus. Jesus was not meeting the expectations of Judas as to how the kingdom of God was to come to, to fruition. Jesus was to come with force, with power, to call down fire, to, to call the, the host of angels and to fight Roman oppression and to turn over the religious authority. 
And because Jesus was not meeting the expectations of Judas, Judas then becomes, comes into cahoots with the religious leaders. Hey, let's force Jesus' hand. I will betray Jesus into your hands, whom you're trying to do away with, but how much money are you going to give me? But does Jesus, when the religious leaders in that mob find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, what does Jesus do? Does he call down fire? Does he pull out the sword? Does he call the hosts of angels to protect him? No. Jesus lets himself be taken into custody. Yes, unjustly, unjust. Jesus allows himself to be beaten and to be spit upon. Jesus allows himself to be nailed to the cross. He does not fight back. He does not retaliate. He's doing everything opposite as to how Judas would have imagined Messiah coming. This Jesus often does not fit within your expectations. This Judas who journeyed with Jesus had access to the teachings of Jesus. Judas had access, front row seats to all of those miracles. Yet Judas had that expectation of how Messiah would gain control of the kingdom. And so plotting to betray Jesus, Judas is trying to manipulate him. Have you ever tried to manipulate God? But this is not Jesus. He does not force himself on you. Instead, he invites you and shows you ample evidence of his lordship. That it is through grace, that it is through forgiveness, that it is through sacrifice of how God's kingdom is going to come. Judas's plan backfires. Jesus does not retaliate. Jesus takes the abuse, the persecution, the false accusations, the insults. He takes on all of the negativity and sacrifices himself even to the point of death. He's not a savior as to how you would expect. Judas worships the false idol of expectations. He realizes he has made a great mistake. And instead of being repentant and asking forgiveness, Judas believes and even expects that God cannot forgive him. Does God forgive? Then why will you not let God forgive you? Does God want to forgive? And if he can, and if he does want to forgive, can we expect that God will forgive me? Can we expect that God will forgive your enemy? Can we expect that God will forgive your family member who you have been avoiding all of these years? 
Reflect on the ways that your expectations of others have nurtured hurt. Reflect on the ways that your expectations of others have caused anger and bitterness and resentment. Could it be that false expectations of your children, your spouse, your parents, your siblings, that they have ruined countless thanksgivings? But could this thanksgiving be different? Because you no longer bow down to the false idol of expectations. Could it be that the heart of your family dysfunction are your own false expectations? Own up to it, church family. Thanksgiving is around the corner. Think of the false expectations at work. <laughs> your boss, your coworkers, your, your employees. Is there idol worship happening at work? Think of the false expectations at church and in church ministry. What are the expectations that you have of your pastor? What are the expectations that your pastor has of you? I mean, think back to the years of ministry together, right? And all of the dysfunction within church is probably because people, you, were worshiping an expectation. Think of the false expectations in politics in our government and how it's run or not run. Or, you know what, don't think about those things. <laughs> think of the false expectations even within theological areas of how our understanding of, of God and Scripture. Are we worshiping idols of expectation? Church family, if we are to avoid idols of expectations, what should we do? What should we do? We must yield. I would submit to you that if we were to avoid idols of expectation, we must yield to the character. We must yield to the mission. We must yield to the teachings of Jesus. It is through Jesus that we can see things correctly. It is through the lens of Jesus that we can understand how we may or may not be worshiping an idol. The filter of Jesus, his righteousness, is how we can determine what is an idol and what is not. When we lift up the character of Jesus, we are no longer worshiping idols of expectation. Are you following? This is good news. So what are the expectations of Jesus? What are the expectations of our God? We expect sacrifice, right? Because he himself modeled sacrifice going to the cross. Jesus expects generosity, don't you think? Jesus expects grace and forgiveness. All of these made possible through his own gift of himself. So today, church family, this day, church family, instead of surrendering to false expectations, let us fully surrender to the character of Jesus Christ. What do you say? Will this transform your family? 
Will this be a thanksgiving like no other as we head into the Christmas season as well? If we surrender ourselves back to Jesus totally and completely, even surrendering our own expectations, what will this do to this church family? I invite you to sing our closing hymn as a response. Hymn number 309, I Surrender All.